is the Rise Up Sea Red podcast, all about the Arizona Cardinals and the NFL, featuring insider and outsider perspectives. Enjoy the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Now here are your hosts, Jess Root and Seth Cox. Hello, Arizona Cardinals fans, and welcome to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red podcast. Best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. I'm your host, Jess Root from Cardswire.com, USA Today, USA Today NFL Wire site. Uh, with me on, on a second show of the week, our show two of the week, is Seth Cox from RevengeOfTheBirds.com, SB Nation's Arizona Cardinals site, and also one of the hosts of the original Draft Breakdown podcast, which is this is prime draft podcast time of year. Uh, we plugged their offensive line show that they had with Sully Chiefs earlier in the week. If you haven't heard that, make sure you download that. And then for those of you who have not yet jumped on and become one of their patrons and, and gone on one of their one of their tiers of, of additional bonus content for two bucks a month, you can get their bonus shows that they do each week. The one they recorded this week, they each um, talked about they ranked their top five offensive line prospects. And on the second tier, the higher tier at four bucks a month, you can also get the their written content as well, both from Seth and co-host Justin Higdon. Um, we've had Justin on the show for a couple of actually a couple of shows for the last like three years so you guys have heard him but this is our second show of the week and we've got a little bit of stuff to talk about um seth we have some sightings that they are not overwhelming sightings but as these are at least not head scratchers they fill two positions on defense of need with guys who have experience. These are low-key all-right signings. Let's talk about that. Carlos Watkins, defensive lineman and Rashad Fenton cornerback. Those that were recording on a Thursday evening, these these um, announcements came from the team Thursday afternoon and Thursday evening, so we get to react to them right away. Seth, I like the moves. These are low-key smart moves and rather than just cheap moves, but I like them. Yeah, and it's, you know, one of those things where, and I wrote about it, you know, they're both guys that have started a lot of games in the NFL, so that's good. Uh, and then, but they've also been, you know, ro- high-level rotational players in the NFL as well. And so from that perspective, you've got, you know, low-end starters or high-end impact backups and those are both important things that they need and so when you look at it it's just i think it's kind of what we've been waiting to see from them more outside of like we said with kaiser white like none of the other signings have been um you know anything to write home about it's been a lot of guys that are going to be like these this is this isn't quite kaiser white but it's also not zach pascal let's be honest and it's not like we didn't like the pascal signing but we knew he's low end receiver three four plus special teams you know fenton could start watkins could start either one of them and and as the, the cornerback room looks right now fenton should be part of the to the three cornerback rotation right and so you look at it you've got a really nice um you've got a really nice addition to the cornerback room who can be a guy that if you need him to can start if not he is a guy that has played that backup role um you know and that's the thing is like you look at it all of a sudden you've got you've got now multiple guys in in Fenton and, and uh, Marco Wilson and Antonio Hamilton, 
who have started and or came off the bench, you know, and those things really can't be overstated how important it is just to have that many guys um, in, in terms of that do that, right? Like right. that can, can be either that type of player and you look at it, you know, I'm, I'm looking right now. So he played 386 snaps uh, last year um, in 2021. He played 639 snaps, mostly at wide corner, but you know he did play some in the slot, not a not a ton. So I don't want people to think. Well, and and, and we already know that Antonio Hamilton can play inside. That was the role that they kind of had him in, in in 2020 when he started early. Um, and and uh, then, granted, and, granted, Marco Wilson, they they viewed him. Like, this is the last regime. Steve Kime also said that he has the ability to go inside and out. And then, and then you look at it in uh, Fenton in 2020 because he was a so that was his second year. He he played basically half of his corner snaps at at slot. He played 236 in the slot, 260 wide. So like, I mean, basically did both. And then his rookie season, which you know, for a six rounder to play to play over you know i think it ended up being right around 300 defensive snaps is a ton and he played most of them out of the slot so like he's a guy with a lot of experience outside a lot of experience inside it's just a good solid signing where we haven't talked about the signings in that way we've looked at him as strong depth right like strong backup potential and now you've got a guy outside of a who was it uh, Woods, um, Chris what, Barnes. Or, Chris Barnes is kind Bar- of the Barnes, and then who was the other? But who was the other linebacker? Who's the special team? Josh Woods. Is? Josh. Okay, it was Woods. Okay, yeah. So outside of the Woods signing, um, where you're like, oh, this is a you know special teams guy. Like he's you know like this is the first. These two signings are the first signings where you're like, oh, they went and got guys that can help. Like you know whether it's starting or rotational, but they can play five six. 700 snaps and you're not like oh i can't believe this guy's still out on the field because i mean let's let's also be honest this guy played i know he got traded uh at the trade deadline but this guy played for the chiefs in two super bowls and then the guy we're about to talk about was a heavy rotational player in uh in dallas right this year who who ended up being in the playoffs so like both of those things are great yeah and and the Watkins move he doesn't have eye-popping numbers but he his best seasons were 2020 and 2021 um and it's interesting if you look at his pro football reference kind of I, I didn't look at some of the breakdowns but he's a 305 pound so you think he's going to play the interior they had him and I I think he's got some positional flexibility as well so he he can kick out wide the, he was even listed one year when he was with the Texas as an outside linebacker. Um, that would have been a one that he that you know Houston plays at three four. That was the um, when they were uh, who was who was their coordinator then Love Romeo Cornell. Oh Romeo, okay. And and so Jonathan Gannon. One of the things we're going to talk about is the you know this schemeless or this scheme flexible defense. 
And if you have guys that can play multiple spots, it looks like Watkins is a guy who's flexible enough to play across the defensive line. Right. And you look at it, you know, this year he played mostly on the interior, uh, 300 snaps. He played 105 at left tackle, defensive left tackle, and then 146 at defensive right tackle. You know, in 2021, um, he played 468 snaps, again, most of them on the interior, but he did have some more uh, on the edge that season. Uh, you know, so you you just look at a guy that, again, that you're talking about, and, and we've emphasized this with defensive linemen especially, 400 to 500 snaps is ideal for these guys to rotate in unless you just have an absolute alpha. Um, 50% of the snaps is all you want these guys playing. Like you, you get a rotation going and things like that, because at, unless you have an elite player, and I, I think that's what people don't get, but unless you have an elite player um, expecting them to play 700 snaps on the defensive line, is just not something that you see a lot. Like if you go to, um, if you go to Philly, the reason Philly was so good is because they have Javon Hargrave and Fletcher Cox, and they both played over 800 snaps, right? Like that's a lot of snaps for the for defensive linemen. And so when you look at it, that's not that's not how most teams work because most teams don't have those guys. They most teams have one of those guys, right? Like yeah. they'll have one guy know, that they can play a lot. Like if, even if you look at the Cardinals the last few years. Um, Zach Allen was played the the almost all the snaps kind of role um, before Calais Campbell was in that role when he played uh, for the Cardinals. Like he played almost every snap inside, um, and so they always JJ Watt. JJ Watt played a variety of roles, but they had two guys that they play, and they tried to <laughs> they tried to limit Watt. <laughs> right. Well, you, but I mean, you just look at it like you go to the Jets. Even Quentin Williams, who was an All Pro this year, he played 690 snaps. You know, and like I said, those those other guys in the you know regular season, um, you know, are playing that many. And and you just look at it, and the next guy on the list for for the Jets was 550, so 140 less snaps. Like, so you're talking, you know, you're talking about eight to 10 less snaps a game. And you might be like, Oh, that's not that many. But like when Williams is playing 70% of the snaps, the next guy down is now playing, you know, 55. Like, so you want guys that you can trust that, that are rotational guys. And, you know, again, Watkins is not what you would call like a, like a sexy uh, signing by any means, but he's a guy that, teams need right to be successful he's, he's and, not a head scratcher of a signing no no and and that's the thing is like again you know i think the best you know way to paint this picture is just to give examples and you got you know again like you look at the cincinnati Bengals, right the Bengals' top snap getter this year on on the defensive line or interior defensive line was bj hill at 815 the next de- interior defensive lineman had less than 400 snaps. Like <laughs> that's that's how defensive line should work. Yeah. Like you should you should have in a in an ideal scenario in a four 
4-3 defense, what we are kind of expecting the Cardinals to line up in, uh, you should have four guys that are playing roughly 45 to 50% of the snaps each. Yeah, you know, and, 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 and what I like about this signing, like some of the other signings you're like, ooh, maybe they could, like Kevin Strong, one of the defensive lineman signings that they made. He's a guy who has, who's been like, at best he can maybe start. Um, or you go to the offensive line when they signed Yelda Froholt. These are the guys like, oh, he started before, but it's right. like this, this is, these two are guys who have been legitimate, consistent-ish starters. Right, they're much exactly. easier. They're much easier to project to be productive, and not, and not just you know bodies on a roster, but guys who you can count on. Where if they are in the starting lineup, you're not like like imagine imagine if we go into the season with Yelda Froholt as the starting center, we're going to be wondering about the center position. If Watkins is one of the starters on the defensive line, or Fenton ends up being a start on the, in quarterback, uh, sure they could be upgraded. Sure they could, but we're not going to go. Uh, I don't know. Right. And that's that's kind of where I think you and I are, right? Like we've tried to explain and prepare people that this is not going to be a year where you expect this team to go for it, so to speak. However, this is a year where I think people are going to be, and, and a lot of it, plays into you know when kyler comes back but i think people are going to be surprised by this team by how hard they play by how physical they play and that's the type of things and signings we're seeing right now coming next on the rise of sea red podcast of a syrup cardinals talk a little bit let's move on talk about some stuff that's come up in some reports about deandre hopkins and a potential trade that's coming up next on rise of sea red we're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, best of Cardinals talk on the way. We've talked on several shows about the potential of a DeAndre Hopkins trade. Um, it wasn't too long ago that Pac-Man Jones was on the Pat McAfee show and named five teams to watch for. Um, one of those teams was the New England Patriots. Um, on Thursday, in an ESPN kind of notebook, when, when Jeremy Fowler and Dan Graziano, uh, it's always fun to read those because it's like those two guys like collaborate. <laughs> they collaborate on their their news and notes that they picked up from where they've been, whether it's at the combine or in this case, it was here in in the Phoenix area when they had the a, annual league meeting uh, at Biltmore in Phoenix, and just things that they came away with. And w- there were two tidbits about DeAndre Hopkins in a potential trade, and and this has kind of been consistent. Uh, there's been a couple things that have been very consistent with the Cardinals is that teams want them to. C- come down off their asking price and their asking price has been firm they want a second round pick plus something um and as of right now they're not coming off of that price now um there were two things that came up in this in this notebook from graziano and i think both were actually notes from graziano and one was um (laughs) surprise that the fact that the Patriots having um, offensive coordinator Bill O'Brien, the former head coach of the Houston Texas, and who who traded Hopkins away, with whom Hopkins said he admittedly had no relationship with, that the presence of of, Hop, of O'Brien on that staff um, happens to be an impediment to a potential trade. Surprise. And then the other one is how teams want the Cardinals to eat some of that money. I, I will say this. 
the Cardinals eating some of the money while it might make things easier makes at least no sense at all. We've already broken down the numbers when it comes to that because he has a, a cap hit of over $30 million this year. He's due over $19 million in salary. Um, but a trade, they're only going to save about $8 million against the cap. Okay, That's just the reality of it because they've, they've had to push money down the line with restructures to give themselves flexibility in previous years. And so this is a, this is an ouch. And But at least if you trade him and get assets and you get a decent chunk of cap space, any amount that they eat. Now, how it works in the NFL is that when you trade, you're actually trading contracts. And so it's not like the Cardinals can trade cash. What they would have to do is then to restructure that deal and pay pay and agree to pay Hopkins a bonus before the transaction is carried out. And then they would carry that against the cap. So Hopkins is due 19 plus million dollars in salary. Say the Cardinals decided to, you know, sweeten the deal by eating, quote unquote, five million of that, meaning they pay him five million dollars before he goes to their team, which means the other the the team that acquires him only pays about $14 million, as they would have for the, the final two seasons. The problem with that is that that $5 million comes off of the cap this year. The Cardinals are already only saving $8 million against the cap. They pay him $5 million. They're only going to save $3 million. They're going to carry almost $28 million in dead money, save a total $3 million on the, against the cap, and won't have DeAndre Hopkins. That doesn't make any sense to me. No, and it doesn't make sense to expect that that would be what happens for them. And so when you look at it, something that, you know, you and I have talked about off the air, like I I just don't see them. I think one of the things that Monty Austin Ford's doing, and I think it makes sense, is he's basically saying like, here, come get him. But this is what we are expecting. And until we get it, we're not going to we're not going to change our mind or change our asking price. Right. Like, and to me that makes sense because you're, you're looking at a guy that can help your team. And if he's not happy and he doesn't want to do it, then that's on him at that point. Right. Like he's got to make a decision if he's going to play or if he's going to, you know, hold out or what he's going to do. But at some point he has to, you know, make a decision if it's not in the best interest for the Cardinals to make that move. And so Monty Austin Ford's job is to, you know, make the best decisions for the organization. And if that includes keeping him on, uh, um, then, you know, it makes sense to do that. And I think that's where people are getting caught up is that the Cardinals aren't going to come off their asking price. They might be flexible, but they're not going to come off their asking price until they feel like they're getting what they need yeah. from this move. Yeah. And one thing I don't anticipate them doing is adding any money to the deal. Um, that, I mean, it's kind of this, what this feels like is that there's a bunch of posturing across the board of these teams that want Hopkins but don't want to pay for Hopkins um, because he's but he's expensive. He is. He costs a lot, well, but he's he's clearly the best receiver that you can get. But also this is the reality, and this is something that I think a lot of people miss. He's a 31, I believe. Will 31 be 31 this season. Yeah, yeah, 31-year-old 
veteran who hasn't played a full season since his first with the Cardinals, right? Um, like you said, he's an expensive product, and he's a you know he's he's been known to be a bit of an enigma in terms of personality. And all of that leads to teams being cautious because the reality for Hop isn't that he's not great because he is. I mean, he's he's probably going in the Hall of Fame. Um, the reality for Hop is that he's a guy who has some baggage in his in his closet um or skeletons in his closet if you will he's a guy that um you know has is up there in age and he's a guy that tends to want to be paid <laughs> every time his his guaranteed money is up um and he's done this now in Houston twice and now Arizona twice Um, and and we don't fault players for wanting to do that because ever ever but that's the thing is like you know he wants to get paid again so any team that trades for him is like we're gonna have to i mean give him 45 million dollars guaranteed again and so that's another thing that comes into it and i just think that people don't understand that that's where it is or what it is like it's it is a hard thing to for a team and so we've seen you know kansas city and buffalo kind of say like and eh, this isn't gonna work for us it it makes sense because they're like you know they're on a budget. They've got these expensive quarterbacks and they're having to do it. Um, but, and then at the same time, can the chiefs really go in the season? Marquez Valdez Scantling is as their top receiver. I mean, they, they managed it with Juju last year. Right. But yeah. Well, and that's the thing. And that's, that, the it's a game of chicken right now. It really is. Yeah. And I just don't think, I just don't think that the Cardinals are going to budge because there's no reason for them to. Coming up next on the Rise Up Sea Red Podcast, the best of our Cardinals talk on the web. Let's talk about a little bit what Jonathan Gannis said about a scheme-flexible defense. What can we expect from this Cardinals defense in 2023 schematically, personnel-wise? That's coming up next on Rise Up Sea Red. We're back on the Rise Up Sea Red Podcast, the best of our Cardinals talk on the web. Jonathan Gannon. Sounding a lot like Steve Kye and Vance Joseph spoke a lot about guys, oh, and Bruce Arians to that matter, guys, he wants guys that can play multiple positions. He did say he, he's been firm about not building, like, not building a scheme for his players to play and building a scheme around his players. Uh, he also said he doesn't want it to be a copy-paste version of the Eagles defense because there are some things he wants to do differently. That said, how how exactly flexible schematically do we expect to see the Cardinals this season, Seth? Um, I mean, I think you're going. We talked a little bit about it the other day with uh, 
with the offense, right? Like depending on who the quarterback is. And I think we're going to see that this year as, you know, on defense as well. I think, you know, we have a lot of questions that need to be answered and I don't think we're going to see exactly what the Jonathan Gannon defense is in year one as they're trying to build it. But I think we are going to see a lot of interesting looks that put players in a position to be successful and, you know, I think those things are something that we have not heard consistently from or have been complaints of fans or, you know, critics um, of the past regimes where there wasn't, there didn't seem to be any fitting the scheme to the talent and said it even was trying though, to. Even though Vance did. He really did. He, tr- he, he tried. tried. But but if we look at some of the changes, because his defensive scheme is primarily generate pressure and play man on the outside. That That is, he, he, he wants to run a Wade Phillips type scheme. He added over the last two seasons more, I think partially out of need, but because of Marcus Robertson, one of his defense, I think it was the defensive backs coach, um, about including ele- more elements of zone, and I think part of that was needed because of the personnel they had. And look at how many how they changed things up for different. So sometimes you'd see an eight man front against some teams, and with the over the last three seasons, the more that they've incorporated Isaiah Simmons, the less three four, the less Wade Phillips that defensive that defensive front looked. Um, and so I'm like, fans like to say that he, but. but Vance did exactly that, especially with the addition uh, of Isaiah Simmons when they first when he first came to the league. They had like literally it was a four three front for them. Um, it's just that that went away when when he you know he was making mistakes early on when he you know he blew the Raheem Mostert um, angle and they and they scored that seventy yard touchdown in like the first game of the year, and then he kind of got in the doghouse and had to work his way back. But Isaiah Simmons in particular. They did well. Aside from the yes, that they had to teach him linebacker, but they to fit him in, they really did change it up schematically in terms of personnel looks. We all anticipate that Gannon's defense, and well, I guess it's technically Rollis's defense, is going to look like a four-three, especially with the additions they've had. You 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 anticipate Isaiah Simmons, Evan Collins, Kaiser White. Then you've got Chris Barnes who can sit behind them. Um, and so you figure it's going to be a 4-3 look. Um, it's going to be a matter of how much is man, how much is zone, uh, what different positions do they put like MyJ at the rush linebacker? Are they going to have a rush linebacker like like Hassan Reddick last year? I'm super intrigued by the, by what we might see. Yeah, and how they're going to deploy things and what they're going to look at. Because, you know, like I said, like his defense with Fletcher Cox and Javon Hargrave isn't showing up, right? Um, his strengths right now are his linebackers, off-ball linebackers. He's got some interesting pieces in Simmons and and MyJ Sanders and Cam, Cameron Thomas as edge rushers. And he has the chance to add to that in the draft, obviously. Um and then the the interior defensive line is kind of a mishmash right now, and probably the most underwhelming part, even over the corners <laughs> um, of this roster right now. But 
you know, it's one of those things that he's, I think he's a lot more malleable um, than what Vance was. Because, like, Vance's defenses aren't exactly, um, he, you know, his defenses, the strengths typically come from being able to rush four or five and, and drop a lot into coverage, right? And then, but for whatever reason, and, and there's a lot of answers to this, and very few are Vance's fault, um, you know, that wasn't something he could do. And so when you look at it, you've got a guy in, in Gannon who I think is going to and like you said with Rawls and even the guy they brought in from Florida whose name's escaping me right now um, I think they're going to be a little more flexible and a little more uh, they're going to take that challenge a little more head on um, in terms of trying to find the best way to, to show this defense being successful as opposed to and I'm not saying that Vance did not do that, but like you said, like there were a lot of things to overcome and Vance has his system that he likes to run. And he tries to do it consistently and it just, you know, it never really worked after that hot start in 2021 and JJ Watt getting, getting injured. And again, not, not Vance's fault that they continued to, um, add off-ball players and not, you know, up-front interior defensive line players. Absolutely. Uh, Coming up next on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, the best of our Cardinals talk on the web, let's talk our final little bit of the show, and that would be, surprise, the Cardinals are making improvements to their facilities, and it might not have been because of the NFLPA report card. That's coming up next on Rise of Sea Red. We're back on the Rise of Sea Red podcast, the best of our Cardinals talk on the web. Um, interesting things is uh, the Cardinals took a hit. They most certainly did. Michael Bidwell, the entire organization, took a hit when the NFLPA released their team report cards. This was a brilliant move by the NFLPA. I'll be honest. It was a very, very astute move by them. Um because this was, in most situations, so this was a classic labor versus management type scenario about work conditions. And now say if it's an airline or if it's a grocery store union, um, they don't necessarily have the means or the, the bandwidth to be able to publish something of this magnitude, but the NFLPA does because... Everyone covers the NFL. So on the NFLPA site, they, they've surveyed their players across the league, asked them to grade um, different aspects of their work conditions, um, food, training, facilities, strength, you know, weight room, things like that. The stuff that's not related to the play on the field, it's the stuff of work conditions, like in your classic labor versus management. And then... That got, that was exponentially broadcast to the entire world 
because of NFL media. We all cover the NFL. Uh, everyone who covers a team had someone something to write about. You, you, the big networks, the national networks, the local networks, the small networks. There was stuff to talk about, and, and the Cardinals took hit because they, you know, they had five failing grades in five of the eight categories. They even had F minuses, which you know, I'll say that's a stupid grade. That's 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 just. That's trying to prove. That's trying to make a statement when you say F minus because everyone knows that there's nothing worse than an F when you get graded. That said, the Cardinals are making improvements. Um, Jonathan Gannon came in. Uh, he's talked to players. He's talked to Michael Bidwell. Michael Bidwell is supposedly on board. They're making improvements. And then, the, then the kicker was Albert Breer when he was when he reported some of the things that were happening. Is that a lot of those were already in process? before Gannon was hired and before the report card came out. And so, to Bidwell's credit, you know, he was perhaps a little forward-thinking, or maybe he was giving a heads up, or maybe it was just that time in the cycle of things, because it was just eight years ago that they put in millions of dollars to upgrade the team facility in the weight room, and, they, you know, there, they, there was great publicity about that locally when it happened in 2015. But now you bring in a new coach, coming off a really bad grade. Um, it sounds like maybe even players won't have to pay for their own food, right? Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing is, you know, we've talked to players. We've talked to people outside the organization. We've talked to people that have worked for the organization that weren't players. The reality is, and this, you know, makes sense, and and you can speak to it with your Kelvin Beecham conversation, uh, but, like, these things are ancillary things for the hyper-paid players. Um, You know, J.J. Watt, Larry Fitzgerald, you know, obviously now DeAndre Hopkins, Kyler Murray, those guys. The guys that are making money you know, they realistically work out at their own facilities or their own training facilities or at home. Um, But for guys on the bubble or guys that are, you know, trying to get by like a David Blau or, or a guy like, um, you know, before he got paid Dennis Gardeck, like those things start to add up, right? Like bad, bad workout facility, um, bad food. And then, you know, at the end of the day, food you have to pay for out of your pocket that was also said to be bad food, right? Like that, I think that's the part that gets missed by a lot of fans is it's like, it's not just that they had to pay for food, but the food was that they were paying for was bad. And so, you know, when you look at it, a guy like, again, Dennis Gardeck, you know, you and I, um, we obviously don't know what it's like to make NFL minimum, you know, what, $450,000. Oh. And, and, and now that's like 750000 now. Yeah. And so, and so, like, you look at it and people go, well, you know, these guys can afford the $15 meal or whatever, $20 meal, whatever it is. At, but here's the thing. And I say this very truthfully because, you know, even with high school athletes and I, you know, I have friends that are 
have kids that are in college athletics. I, you know, I know people that work in college athletics and then, you know, I have, I have friends that work in the NFL that, you know, will, will tell me about this. Like these guys spend inordinate amounts of money to take care of themselves. Um, you know, there was something the other day about LeBron James. He spends $1.5 million a month for his like health and, and wellness. Um, obviously everybody knows about TB 12 systems and how much money that was, <laughs> things like that. Like, and so again, when you're talking about a guy that was, you know, making four or five, six hundred thousand dollars, yes, that's a lot of money to the lay man. But when you're talking about having to spend, you know, eight to ten thousand dollars a month to keep yourself in shape personally, then it starts to add up because like it's not just having to pay the fifteen dollars for the food, right? It's or or thirty dollars if it's two meals, right? It's not having access to good food or clean food, if you will, or, or, you know, or, or these different things. And so that all compiled with, you know, an out of date weight room, you know, an unsafe out of date weight room and these type of things that all compiled to become this grand issue. And like, like you said, Jonathan Gann and Monty Osfort are, are making it a priority to change because, and this is, you and I have talked about this off the air. Whether or not this works, I don't, I mean, obviously we want it to work, but whether or not this works, the biggest thing that is being attempted is they're trying to change the culture and the, um, the outside thought of who the Arizona Cardinals are. And that, I don't think people realize how much of an uphill battle that is, especially within the NFL and NFL media. Yeah, like oh, and, and, and then more so, more so with that report card coming out. I will say this. Calvin Beecham has said this. The facility is adequate. In terms of work conditions, it's not bad. It's adequate. Uh, Justin Pugh, um, he, they, he said there was other benefits. He, he downplayed some of the issues that there were at the facility yeah, on Twitter. It said, like, but living here, the quality of life is incredible out here. We, you know, we know we've been we've lived here our whole life. Living in Arizona is pretty fantastic when it comes to, especially this time of year. But uh, the Fs that are out there, you have to understand the perspective. These are high-performance high athletes um, at the top of their game. And so while if we, if we were to look at, if you've seen pictures of the Cardinals weight room, that's a better weight room than probably any of y'all have worked out in at any point. But is it what is ideal for professional athletes? Maybe, maybe not. And and there's different layers of that. And this is like, this depends on, you know, as an organization, go back to, to the days of Mark Cuban and the Dallas Mavericks when he went over the top with amenities for his players so that other players, opposing players who came in and visited them would be jealous. It's a, it's a strategy that you do. Um, some people are like, we're going to provide what's adequate because, you know, why do we need to do more than adequate? 
they do have to keep a minimum. They do have to keep. They do have to reach a minimum standard of adequate, and that the question then becomes is was what the Cardinals doing were doing was it adequate? The grades say no, um, but but now we're seeing that that Bidwill, whether he was tipped off or whether this was just in motion already, because the team had or had put you know millions of dollars into the stadium. And it was just coming to the point, you know, they invested millions into the facility eight years ago. They've invested in the stadium, and now you cycle back around for investment into, you know, facilities. It appears that perhaps it was already on track to happen, um, but now it's just been amplified. Right, and that's what they're trying to do, and that's what they're working towards. And, you know, at the end of the day, when you look at it, it it's one of those things that the reality is the Cardinals are notoriously cheap. Whether it's fair or not, they're notoriously cheap. And a report like this comes out, and it kind of just reinforces It does. That, it's right? like, oh, yep, they're still cheap. Mikey B, he didn't improve anything because – the, the narrative for a long time is that the Cardinals have made great strides since Michael Bidwell took over because organizationally have invested in a lot more things since he took over. If you go back to the Ken Wisenhunt days, they 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 put in the practice bubble. Uh, now they didn't, they upgraded this, they upgraded that, they upgraded things in the stadium. Um, Bidwell, Michael Bidwell, was much better than his son. But now as things have happened, it feels like he's more like his father than than we thought he was, but now we get to see it, and they've got to fight that narrative again. This is the narrative about how the organization is run. It's just something that's been, it's been an uphill battle, and I don't, honestly, I don't know if it'll ever be overcome, because I don't know, I don't know if ever, anyone will ever believe it, because just the name Bidwill, um, just for a lot of reasons, the, the franchise's history, uh, the things that come out like this, and because, let's be honest, because of his political leanings compared to, you know, many things going on nationwide, they will always view him negatively no matter what he does. You know, I think if this team and franchise starts to win, you will see that change. But like you said, they've spent money on things, but they've also... And they're getting hammered for this, and I don't know how I feel about it. And I, you know, we, you and I haven't even really talked about it, but like they're getting hammered for raising ticket prices after, you know, after losing season and basically in what looks like a season where they're kind of, you know, tanking. And the reality is, you know, inflation is insane right now and, and a lot of other things. And, but it is a bad look. Let's be honest. I mean, there's there's no way around that. You know the, the the message is they have an extra home game. Well, I mean they kind of do because they lost a home game last year to Mexico and they're going to play that in the stadium. But <sighs> there's no good win. But ever, like let's be honest, everything's cost. Like go go to McDonald's. You know that that dollar hamburger that you used to buy. It's three bucks. It's four bucks. I mean that's it's literally happening everywhere. Um, right. Doesn't so. make it any more fun, and the timing looks awful. But there's a number of things. One, inflation. Two, 
let's be honest there there is an there is perhaps a need for for the organization to raise more revenue because Kyler Murray's contract Cliff Kingsbury's contract that they're still paying and so right. I mean there's a lot I of think- reasons and and here's the thing May, what would you rather have done would you rather have the Cardinals not fired like this is the question for fans if Keeping Cliff Kingsbury meant ticket prices were down. Would you be happy with that? No, no one would. There was no way this offseason that the Cardinals were going to come away looking good because either they look like idiots for, you know, getting Kime and and, and Cliff Kingsbury's extensions, which they did look like, or everyone's unhappy because they came back. And so, let's be honest. Like, if you were given the choice, Cardinals fans, would you have rather seen tick prices stay relatively the same, but with Cliff Kingsbury coming back? Or would you rather have the new coaching staff, a new general manager with higher ticket prices? Yeah, and and the other thing is, and I think, and we'll see if it comes true. I mean, we don't know. Um, but if they change out the scouting department if they start changing those things up because i think that's been one of the biggest criticisms uh is that they've done a lot of things but you know they're still basically the same scouting department from what 2001 i'm i'm kidding but only sort of and so you know I think that's one of the criticisms and and so but that's the thing is like I wrote about it the other day because SB Nation uh wanted to ask all fan bases sans a couple uh if if they want you know would want their uh want their owner to sell and it's pretty overwhelming that Cardinals fans do but I think what people don't realize is how poorly, and this is on Mike, so I don't want this to be, you know, thinking I'm not blaming Mike for this, but how poorly they did with their cap situation and what Monty's trying to do to get them out of it, right? Because I think that's the biggest thing right now is that people are upset about all of this. But the reality is Monty's trying to clear the decks over the next two seasons so they're able to be competitive moving forward. Right, and, and be able to develop and to be able to put together the team that he wants to put together with financial flexibility. Right. And so that's not gonna happen with what Steve Kime was notorious for, which was, you know, hey, let's sign this guy to more money than he probably would have received anywhere else. And then we'll kick the can down the road and spread it out over. I mean, think about the guys that they were paying last year that, that weren't even on the roster, right? Or that had like never been on the roster. And that was just, I mean, and I know there's a lot of teams that do it that way, but that was notoriously kind as like, hey, that uh, that's a problem for another day. That's not a problem for today, right? And, <laughs> and, you and I have talked about that, what, at least a dozen times? 
about like, you know, they, they, at some point they've got to figure out, you know, you look back 2021, Devondre Campbell, Malcolm Butler, um, Brian Winters, right? Jordan like Chris, Stre- Chris Streveler, like, so that was 21. So 22 was, yeah. But I think it was 2020 was the really, really bad one, if I remember right. But, yeah, I mean, that's just it. Yeah, David Johnson, right? Uh, Darius Darius Phylon, Terrell Suggs. Um, you know, all of these guys that, like, had no impact on the team. And then, and then they were still paying from the year before because, well, they just, you know. And that, you know. It just, it's tough, man. Like I get it. And you want to be competitive and you want to be. And so, but I think this year they're doing the right thing and, and really putting themselves in a position to be successful. And, and I don't mean necessarily immediately, but like you said, in the Monty Austin Fort era, in his in what he sees as the best, you know, step forward. Um, yeah, you look at this year's man, Jordan Phillips, <laughs> Jordan, Jordan Hicks, Devin Kennard, and then they paid him again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, the, but the worst one was definitely Malcolm Butler. Because think about it. I Like, this was a dude that didn't even make it out of camp in 2021, but they were still paying him $1.1 million in 2022. Like, it's just like, man, like, I get it. You like, it's a common practice for a lot of teams, but the Cardinals seem to do it with a lot of like low end players, right? Like a lot of guys that they were like, Hey, come back or we'll sign you to a a one year, two and a half million dollar deal. And we'll put that, you know, we'll put 1.5 of it on this year and the 1 million on it next year. And then it's like, Oh, he didn't even make the roster. Uh, but we'll pay him next year. Don't worry. But yeah, I mean, you look at this year, like already Jordan Phillips, Devon Kennard, AJ green, all of those guys, those three combined is $10 million. Like that's $10 million in dead cap that you could have to go sign a re-sign a Byron Murphy. Right. But you don't, you don't have it. And that's not on Monty. So, like, when people are like, what is Monty doing? I'm like, go look at the dead cap. That's not on Monty. He's just got he's got to deal with the hand he's dealt this year. And, again, that's not on Bidwill in this time, in this part, right? Like, he's not being cheap. He he has $11.5 million in dead cap that he's paying off. Uh, the problem is it's on Bidwill from – before when he was convinced like hey just kick it down the road we'll deal with it like we'll, we'll take care of it you know in two years three years like i said there's no reason jordan phillips should be on the cap for six million dollars this year like there's just <laughs> there's just no was, reason that was to save room last year <laughs> they, right. they they post june first did him because otherwise he was going to count nine million against the cap last year right and so that's the thing but you know and and we all know this. It's it's just like having a credit card. Eventually, all, all those things come due, right? Yeah, and that that's the thing about so, the cap. If you don't understand it, so any money you have actually paid a player, 
will count against the salary cap at one point or another. You can you can play around with the with the books a little bit to push that money down the line with void years, this and that, paying bonus restructures to to lower hit one year. But if money has gone to a player, it will be accounted for in the books at some point. That's that's right. just how and that works. Can, right, and you can literally just keep pushing it right you're like oh we'll we'll do uh i mean if it's not one guy if you're not doing it to one player's contract you're doing it to another player's contract to make room for this player's contract that's dead right and and you know that's just the unfortunate reality of of what this organization decided to do and now they're in a position and and you know it's funny because this all ties in right why are they being so stingy or so pigheaded with the DeAndre Hopkins trade? Well, huh, because it's going to just be more dead cap money on their salary next year. Like Monty Austinport's literally just trying to do the opposite of that. Yes. He's try, trying to clear the books because the, the 26, 22.6 million account this year. But if they trade him mid season, guess what? There is. Uh, 11 million next year. Right. There's 11 million a dead cap next year if they trade him after June 1st. So you either like you, you get him off the books now and you take the this year hit and now you don't have to worry about it moving forward. Yeah, so that's just I mean, that's where they're at and you know, I think I think Michael wants to do the right thing. Um but it's all he's also still trying to run a business and it's not just as easy as like doing it all at once, right? Yeah, totally. So with that, we will wrap up this edition of the Rise Up Seaward Podcast of SR Cardinals Talk Online. This is episode four hundred and twelve. I will drop a solo pod in the weekend that will specifically deal with the the projected win totals for the teams around Cross Elite. So if you if you care anything about that, have a listen to it. I'll give you my thoughts on the lines for each team in the NFL. Uh, but we will have a show again next week because we are now going to start. We will start getting into draft content. Um, we'll, we'll look how we're going to divide that up over the next few weeks as we have, you know, four weeks till the draft. That's Seth Cox. I'm Jess Root. This is the Rise Up Secret Podcast. We'll be back soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the latest edition of the Rise Up Sea Red Podcast. Listen to previous episodes and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Audioboom, or many other podcast platforms so shows are delivered directly to your mobile device. Please give the show a five-star rating and always support the sponsors who support the show. We'll be back soon for the best hour of Cardinals talk on the web. Rise up Red Sea, be Red Sea Red, and of course, rise up Sea Red.